listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Let me say good morning, church. Uh, My name is Mark Kirkendall, and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus. And it is always great to be able to stand up and to uh, deliver God's Word. Uh, Campbell, it's great to see you back this morning. We're so glad you're doing better. And uh, God has been good to that family. And let me say, church, thank you for walking through that with them. And uh, you responded incredibly. So in your Bibles this morning, 1 Samuel 23 is where we'll be. We're in this series called The Life of David. And we've been looking at some great things. And kids, I'll let you know we've got a crazy story uh, for you this morning. Uh, It is something that if there's not a video game created around what happens today or a movie, there should be. But if you haven't noticed, we are just a few days away from Valentine's Day. So I found some interesting things for you. Valentine's Day, there'll be a billion cards uh, bought and, they're not traded, bought and given, uh, second only to Christmas. And you know who receives the most cards? It's you teachers. And we know that you love getting them all with the little suckers and, you know, the half-eaten Jolly Rancher that's just stuck to it, whatever it might be. 180 million roses are given. Guys, listen to this one. Women purchase 85% of the gifts. <laughs> 85%. And if you thought you would be original and propose to your spouse on Valentine's Day, the average wedding proposals is 220,000 wedding proposals that will happen on Wednesday. And this last one, if this is you, we need to pray for you. But 3% of pet owners will buy their pet a Valentine's gift. And so my dog, JR, is totally out of luck. He's lucky to get food and water. But think about your relationships. Maybe it's in a marriage, parent-child, a lot of that going on in here, which is great. Child-parent, some of you are in that stage where maybe the roles begin to kind of reverse. Friends, siblings, even here in this church. You cannot escape the idea of relationships. So the question then is, then how do you know if you are truly loved? There's a lot of fake love out there, but how do you know you are truly loved? And I think one of the best ways is by what a person would be willing to do, sacrifice, go through, give up. You can kind of sense love in a relationship. If a person is willing to move past their selfishness, sometimes that's hard. And give up what they want to do for someone else. There could be love. Willing to forgive. This is a tough one. Even when those wounds are very deep. Man, you you can see love. What a person might be willing to give up. Whether it's time or energy. Part of their schedules. Resources for someone. There is love. By what you're willing to do. So there was a time... Marla and I were dating in high school. Uh, I could drive a whole year earlier. This is how smitten I was. Still am. Um, I would get up early on a Saturday morning, drive across town, pick her up, drive her back across town to her piano lesson. I would then sit and wait 
because she had to be back in time to help clean the house on Saturday, then drive her back across town, and then I would have to leave, I'd get kicked out, and I would come back home. But just to have those few minutes in the car, I was willing to get up on a Saturday morning to do that. But relationships can be hard. They can be difficult, whether it's a marriage, with your children, your siblings, even within a church. Think of all the things that make relationships hard. We are selfish people that can strain a relationship. Unforgiveness. Different love languages. If you haven't figured out people around you what their love languages are, it's very important. I had a guy come to me one time and said, I don't understand. Bring my wife these gifts. And she could not appreciate them at all. It's like I almost offended her. It wasn't until we sat down and worked through it that she had a dad that worked all the time, never at home. He would show up with gifts. And so for her, that was a substitute for his time. And she would rather have his time rather than his gifts. Circumstance happen. You can, something can happen. You can feel unwanted. You're not good enough. You can feel left out. Or I believe probably all relationships all problems seem to start in one place, and it's with the word expectations. You have an expectation, it doesn't get met. All of a sudden, you know, World War III is about to happen. We're sitting around talking at supper the other night. I think it was Ophi said, uh, Dad, is Mom your valentine? And Marcus, in the great wisdom of an eight-year-old, he looks at her and he says, Ophi, they're married, of course she's his valentine. Then Marla said, but it's nice to be asked. And so, you know, there's this thing of expectations that strain relationships. What about value-driven relationships? We live in this world where too many relationships are based on what we do or we don't do. We feel like we have to work to try to earn people's approval or their acceptance or maybe their love. But relationships are hard. They're, they're difficult. But over time, you realize, wow, these, these are really worth it. It's worth going through the difficult times, working out your problems, saying you're sorry, because relationships matter. So whether it's with your spouse or a friend, your siblings, or within the people sitting next to you, these relationships are worth fighting for. So keep in mind this morning this question, how do you know you're truly loved? And we're going to pick up in the life of David. So we ended last week in chapter 22, and David's on the run of his life. He was anointed king, but it's going to be 12 years before he's ever installed as king. We saw David running, and where last week he'd kind of been stripped of everything. Everything he depended on, he loves. Trust and favor of the king, gone. His place in the king's army, vanished. Kicked out of his home, his wife's not around anymore. His trusted advisor, Samuel, gone. His best friend, Jonathan, when they left that field. But all of this, we will see over the next several weeks, is God is really preparing David for something. He is preparing David to be an effective king. And he would not be an effective king if he doesn't go on the run for 10 or 12 years and Man, I was reading this week thinking, man, what a great reminder. What a great reminder that all the things that happened to us, whether we put it in a good category or a bad category, all of the things that happen must be approved by God. Everything that happens to us, 
passes through His sovereign will. Difficult times are preparing us for something greater. Listen, there are several families here. They have either just walked through a difficult time or they're about to step into one. Man, our church is great about encouraging and and helping people through that. But man, we need to remember that oftentimes those times are God is preparing us for something greater. And that's what we'll even see today. So let's pick up. In 1 Samuel 23, the good news is today we only have one chapter, not three, uh, so we can move a little bit slower. So this is how it begins in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 23. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. So remember, David's in hiding in the caves of Adullam. He's hiding there, and some people come and tell him that the Philistines, their biggest enemy is attacking this city in Judah called Keilah. And notice it says the threshing floor. And uh, the people at this time, they were opportunists. And what it means is the harvest had happened, everything was gathered, they were preparing all the grains, all the things they had brought in from the field, and it was an easy time to go and rob another country. And so that's what the Philistines are doing. But notice that if you are an Israelite living in Judah, and there is a problem... Who should you take your problems to? It should be your king. Their king is Saul, but they come to David. So notice then what David is going to do. They bring you a problem. David's a man. He's going to reach out and he's just going to attack it head on till you read what happens in verse 2. Therefore David acquired of the Lord. He goes before the Lord and he says, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, yes, go. Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So David sought from God what to do. Man, what another great reminder for us. Because sometimes we can be so quick to respond or we can be quick to react. And listen, that's me. I have made, dug myself some holes that I know I shouldn't have. I'd said some things that I knew I shouldn't have said at the moment. I've sent those texts that I know better than doing that. But how many times do we need to be reminded to just stop and think and pray before we're acting or responding? Man, I I need to be reminded of this every single day. You know, every time, I've never had a time where I've regretted stopping, thinking it through, praying about it before I responded. I've never regretted that. The times where I've jumped into something, whether trying to solve it or I'm upset, I've regretted those every single time. But he acquires of the Lord. He's patient. He's waiting. And God says, go and save them. So you know what? The men are going to rise up. They're going to grab their weapons. They're going to shout their allegiance until you read verse 3. But David said to them, or the men, David's men said to David, behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more are we going to be afraid if we go to Keilah against the enemies of the Philistines? So his men, they're scared to death. So what would any great leader do? You've seen the movies. You rally them, come up with some great, you know, uh, energizing and and inspiring speech. And you give that to them. Look at what David does. In verse 4, then David inquired of the Lord again. 
And the Lord answered, Arise, David, go to Keilah, and I will give you the Philistines into your hand. So he goes to make sure. Make sure, okay, Lord, did I hear you correctly? Because they're not with me. Did I hear you rightly in this? So in verse 5, David and his men, they went to Keilah, and they fought with the Philistines. And they brought away their livestock, and they struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So David leads this group of men. They go to Keilah, but with this victory, doesn't it seem like this is always happening? With this victory, now comes an opportunity for his enemy Saul. Look at verse 7. Now, it was told to Saul, word travels quickly to the king, obviously, that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, notice this, I mean, God's spirit has been removed from Saul. How easily we can interpret things incorrectly. Notice what Saul says. God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in in, uh, entering a town that the gates... And bars. So once again, the king, his, his eyes and ears are everywhere. But it's interesting how Saul then takes this and he interprets God's plans to serve his own sinful agenda. And what he does, he hears that Saul is in, or that David is in this city, city of Keilah, and it's a, a citadel, it's a fortified city, big walls, gates, nowhere for David to escape. And Saul feels like he's trapped. So in verse 8, so Saul summoned all the people to go to war, meaning his entire army he's bringing for this one man. And he says, go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And so he said to Abiathar, which is the son of Elimelech that was murdered by Saul, and bring the ephod. That's a strange word. You probably don't have an ephod hanging in your closet. So here's what an ephod is. This was a garment that the priest would wear on the outer garment of his clothes. Uh, Different arrangements of, of beads or different things like that. But this was this ephod, this outer garment that symbolized the priesthood. And so David said, bring it in. Bring it before us. And in verse 10, David said, O Lord, once again, inquiring of God, the God of Israel, and that's the promise-keeping name of God. Your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Notice the difference in the heart of the person. Saul can only see himself and the harm that he feels is coming to him, even made up. But David even feels that his presence is endangering the city. In fact, you turn back to the end of chapter 22, when Elimelech is is murdered and his son runs to David, David even says, this is my fault. I mean, David has a heart for the people. So then in verse 11, he's going to go to the Lord and he's going to ask a question. He's going to seek God's answer for this. And notice what he's going to ask. Will the men of Keilah... Surrender me into his hand. Remember, David has just went and rescued them. And his question is, are they going to turn on me? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, yes, he will come down. 
Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. So notice that first of all, David acted to seek God's will in this. And his second question, it's, it's twofold. Will Saul come after me? And will the people of Keilah betray me into his hands? And both answers are yes. So what is David going to do? The only thing he knows to do, he runs in verse 13. It's really interesting. It says, then David and his men, now about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. They're running for their lives. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds of the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph of Horesh. And so let me show you. This is important as we're kind of plotting this. So you can see the Dead Sea there. So he was up in Adullam. He runs or goes to Keilah to um, rescue them. He is now hiding in the wilderness of Zeph and Horesh. So from the caves down into the wilderness. But it, notice it's not a restful time. It says that Saul sought David every day, but God did not give him into his hands. So God's going to do something. God is going to show up in a big way for David. He, he's kind of got this, um, this surprise for David. You know, when we're discouraged and we're at our lowest or confused maybe about what to do next, Often God has got a great resource. In fact, he always has a great resource at his disposal, and it's his people. Verse 16, and Jonathan, there he is again. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh, and he strengthened his hand in the Lord. So Jonathan, the king's son, comes and finds David hiding in the wilderness, and it says that he came to strengthen his hand in God, meaning... He came to encourage David in his faith. Listen, what another great lesson for us today that God wants to use his people to help his people. Meaning from time to time, there will be people in all of those relationships that we talked about. In your marriage, your friends, this church, your siblings that are going to be discouraged. They're going to be confused. They're going to be frustrated. Their faith He's going to be weak. But sometimes, man, we just don't know what to do. Man, how do we, you know, we always offer, man, if there's anything I can do, you know, and we're sincere in that, but often it's, we just don't know what to do. So what can we do? Well, in this passage, I think we can grab some things from Jonathan. I, I, these are important. In verse 17, he says this. Notice what Jonathan does to, for David. And he said to him, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So here's what you know. i got three words for you. Challenge, remind, or remember, and commitment. So the first one is challenge. Notice what Jonathan says. He says, do not... Be afraid. And how many times have we seen some phrases you've got to think, that's not helpful. Because first of all, David has to be afraid. Everywhere he goes, 
There's Saul. In fact, he says they went wherever they could. And he says, don't be afraid. But what he means is this. He's really saying, do not be fearful. When he says, do not be afraid, he means, do not be fearful. Do not let your fear control you. Because is David afraid? He has to be. Because remember, faith is not the absence of fear. But faith is obedience in the midst of fear. So faith is not the absence of fear, meaning you don't have faith when there is no fear. But it means that you can be obedient even when there is fear. So here's this challenge to David, and that we should be this for each other. The challenge is to get people to look past their current circumstances. He says, do not be afraid. Look past that to the next one. Remind them or remember. He says, you will be king. So Jonathan reminds David of God's promises. Because David, probably beginning to doubt, man, is this ever going to happen? Remember you told me back in Bethlehem, Samuel came, poured the oil on my head. Don't you remember that, Lord? He's got to start thinking, is God really going to make this happen? So when we're around and people around us are fearful or maybe struggling and starting to doubt, maybe their faith is fragile, one of the best things that we can do is to remind people of God's promises. Then the last thing, so he challenged him, look past, reminds him, hey, you remember the promises, you will be king. Then there's a commitment. I shall be next to you. Jonathan doesn't just say, hey, good luck. Hope to see you on the other side. Jonathan pledges his support. Meaning, we need to let people know, listen, I am in this for you. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I will see you through this as long as it takes. And that was David and Jonathan. So when people are struggling, we challenge Look past Remind them of God's promises. Commit ourselves to walk through this with them. Now verse 18. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. They made this solemn vow. And David remained at Horesh. And David went home. Not knowing this will be the last time they see each other. So they make this covenant, this solemn vow. And I was asked the other day, about these two guys, David and Jonathan, what is it about their relationship that's so unique? And I think it's this right here. Their relationship is not built on, it's, it's not based on what they have in common. It's very opposite. It isn't based on even what they could do for one another or because they have similar interests or their kids are in the same school or the same stage of life. Their relationship is based on something else. It's based on the covenant. It's, it's built upon the vow that they made between each other before the Lord. So allow this to sink in. Let me talk to our husbands and wives for a minute. Not to single anyone out, but let me start here. You know, a successful marriage is not based on whether you like each other. Because if you've been married more than about 30 minutes, you know there's going to come a time and you just don't like each other. It's not built on that. It's not even built on attractiveness, how attracted you are to someone. It's not even built upon the kids that you shared. But it's based on the covenant that you made between each other before the Lord. Meaning this, you fight 
for your marriage, not because of the other person, but because you want to honor God above all else. You fight for your marriage, not because you feel the other person is worth it, but because you know God is. So let's think about the church. Then you may come and, man, our prayers, you would join, you'd serve, you contribute, you'd be a part of this body. But you know, you'd, you'll be around here long enough and your commitment to this church is not because you will always like everyone or everything is done to your liking. But we stick it out. We work things out, not because we deserve it, but because you want to honor God above all else. But now David's faith is going to be tested once again. Look at verse 19. Remember, he's on the run. So then he goes down to the Zephites. And he went up to Saul, or some are going to go up to Saul at Jebiah, saying, hey, listen, is not David hiding among the strongholds at Horesh, in the hills of Hakula, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all that is in your heart's desire, to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into your hands. And so picture this. The Zephites are going to travel 35 miles to tattle on David. Hey, he's here, Saul. O king, come and do what all is in your heart, and we will help you. They invite the king to come down, and they say, we will help you capture David. So in verse 21, David said, May you be blessed by the Lord. Once again, using God for his own agenda. For you have had compassion on me. Go and make yet sure. Go and make sure what you're telling me is true. Meaning, before I get everybody together, I need to make sure this is a done deal. Know and see the place where his foot is. And who has seen him there. Meaning, put your eyes on him. For it is told to me that he is very cunning. So see therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides. And come back to me with sure information. Then, and only then, will I go with you. And if he is in the, in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and they went to Zeph, ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in, the, uh, in Ariba, to the, uh, to the south of Jeshem. So Saul tells them that before he leaves, I want to make sure exactly where he is. He, he's gotten awake too many times. This is it. So now these next four verses are some of the most intense that we have come into. The problem is we know how it ends. But imagine if we did not know, and we were reading this, it was being played out on the screen, verse 25. And Saul and his men, they went to seek him out. And David was told, so he went down to the rock, and he lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. So I grew up in northwest Arkansas, hunting and fishing my whole life. And one of the most exciting times of the year is when there would be fresh snow on the ground and it was time to hunt rabbits. Because all you would do, you would, you would get out at cold, crisp air. You would look for those tracks in the snow. It would lead to a brush pile. You would then surround the brush pile to flush the rabbit out. So that's the, the picture here is Saul is on the hunt and his army is with him. He's discovered where David is hiding. 
And all of the verses in 1 Samuel are now building up to verse 26. And Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. So Saul is coming up one side of the mountain. David and his men, they're hurrying off to escape on the other side. Saul is closing in. And you can see David is running ahead of him. But it's almost as if Saul can see David. And he is so close to having his revenge satisfied. Saul is just about to capture David. When from behind him, he hears someone yelling and screaming. In verse 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So allow that just to sink in for a moment, that David is almost in his grip. I mean, he can taste the victory of satisfying his revenge and envy. And all of a sudden, someone comes yelling and screaming from behind him, yelling, the Philistines are attacking. So notice what happens when we allow ourselves to be controlled by envy and revenge and jealousy. Saul left the land and the people uh, at a very vulnerable place to satisfy his own personal envy and revenge. He abandoned his duty as a king for personal vengeance. But notice what the God of Israel is doing. When we began this chapter, you remember the, remember the, uh, the setting? Keilah is being attacked. And remember by who? It was the Philistines. So they're attacking the city of Keilah. But now God uses that same group to deliver David. Meaning God uses Israel's biggest enemy to deliver his future king. They're the enemy in the beginning. And now God uses them with the Savior in the end. So I say God uses strange ways to keep his people on their feet. You know, there's no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as chance. There is only the sovereign will of God. So let's read how it ends. So Saul returned after pursuing after David and he went up against the Philistines. Therefore, that place is called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there, and he lived in the strongholds of Engedi. So, because the Philistines, Saul retreats and he runs back. And David and his men are saved. And David is going to go to the caves of Engedi. And Engedi is this beautiful oasis high above the, uh, the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. And next week, we're going to pick up there at some incredible things that happened in those caves. But I want us to notice the place where David escaped, what it's called. It's called the Rock of Escape. So it's on this hill that David learned something. David learned that his trust in God was not misplaced. David learned that he could count on God's promises. And that we will see that actually lived out over the next several weeks. But can you imagine what this was like for David, being that close? You know, sometimes we will go through things, hard things, and it is so that we can know and trust 
that our place in that and our trust and our faith in God, we can know with beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's not misplaced. We will go through things so that we can count on God and His promises no matter what the circumstances might be. And David, I believe as he is running over that hill, and he hears the commotion behind him, and he sees Saul's army in turning, that he had to stop and go, now I get it. God will always fulfill His promises. So throughout this morning, hopefully we've I don't know, kind of seen um, some valuable lessons. Maybe even just we would call them good reminders. But I want us to think about one last thing. That rock of escape. So I began this morning by asking you, how do you know you're truly loved? The answer was this, by what somebody's willing to do or maybe endure, even give up for you. And David on this mountain had learned that he is loved And he is cared for on that rock of escape. You know, and the truth is for us that all that you need to do and all that I need to do to realize how loved and cared for we are is to look to another rock. Think of Jesus in heaven. He has everything he could possibly want or desire. Perfect relationship and harmony within the Trinity. There isn't anything that he is lacking. The only thing Jesus doesn't have was you. And Jesus was willing to give it all up to have you. But to have you, he had to go to a different rock. The rock called Calvary. And it's on this rock, you know what, you can escape sin. It's on that rock you can know that you're escaping God's wrath. And it's on that rock that you can escape an eternity separated from a loving creator so the thing would be this morning if you don't know jesus as your personal savior this morning if you are still sitting under god's wrath because of your sin we invite you to believe we invite you to believe this morning and trust that jesus came to live the life that you never could have lived but he died the death that you deserved but if you do know jesus as your savior Man, my prayer this morning is that, listen, life is hard at times. Circumstances pile on. And we can easily get to the place that we doubt His love and acceptance for us. But the truth is, no matter what you have done or even what you will do, you will always be His. And nothing you could ever do can change His love or acceptance of you. You do not have to earn Jesus' acceptance. He gives it freely. So if you start to doubt, and listen, we all do. If you ever start to doubt Jesus' love or His care for you, you start questioning, is this following Jesus thing really worth it? Look to that rock of escape. Because there is nothing that God was not going to do to have you in His family. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.